0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the Football Purist podcast. Please help by subscribing and check out footballpurist.com.
1: Welcome back to a special holiday edition of the Talk On Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Hallett, and I'm joined by Brian Painter in Chile/slash less awesome than LA, New York. How are you, mate? I'm good, buddy.
0: Good. It's uh you're you're not kidding. It's uh negative four today in New York. <laughs> but hey, that was better than where I spent the holidays, which was in Erie, Pennsylvania, where we got 70 inches
1: of snow. So there's that. But I'm doing good, man. Always happy. <laughs> Always have an extra bedroom for you out here. And uh, I've got a relative newcomer with us to talk on. This is, I believe, episode number two for you, James. We've got James White in sunny Chicago.
2: How you doing, James? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, the sun's out, but um, I'm pretty similar to Jeff, and then we've got 10 degrees outside, so it could be doing a little bit better. <laughs> True. So we're going to react to
1: the news of the day. still reverberating in every supporter's home. Of course, the formal announcement of Virgil van Dyke filling a very necessary gap for Liverpool. So we're going to certainly talk through those news. And then we're also going to hit up some of the other transfer targets at play. Um, There's several rumors to keep us all hopeful and interested. And then we'll finish out with some score predictions for Leicester tomorrow and Burnley on New Year's Day. But before we get into all of that, let's start with an intro question. So speaking of Van Dyke and the Christmas gift he represented to all of us, what was your most unexpected non-sports gift of all time? For Joey, this could be cereal. Allie, this could be video games or not doing something on a Friday night. What do you you have? I'll start with you, Painter. Uh, Yeah, um,
0: it's a tough one because most of my gifts were sports-related. And unfortunately, I didn't get too many things that weren't sports-related. But uh, one of the ones that I still remember to this day and I played, uh, incessantly and this will date me a little bit. Um, I got, uh, when I was a kid, I received an Intellivision gaming console, which, uh, (laughs) which for those who don't know, um, for some of our younger listeners, uh, an Intellivision gaming console was before the original uh, Nintendo gaming system, uh, was right uh, before, I even believe, Atari 2600. So, uh, oh, sure. <laughs> But uh, it had the disc controllers and everything, man. I, uh, Burger Time was, uh, was was one of the games <laughs> I received with it, um, and I played it for hours upon hours upon hours. But yeah,
1: for me, it was the Intellivision gaming console. Yeah, more power to you on the burger time. James, uh, that's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm old and I don't even know what that is.
2: <laughs> James, what do you got? I well, I only know what that is because I'm a total nerd. But nice. um, My, I guess my favorite unexpected Christmas gift. Uh, so my sister lives in uh, Basel, uh, Switzerland. And um, I don't know if you've ever had Swiss chocolate, but it's uh, ridiculously amazing. And when I was, I want to say about... I don't know. Sixteen years old. Uh, they they come to visit every summer. Um, her and her husband and their kids, and they always bring chocolate for everybody. But they brought me a special type of chocolate called um, whiskey Stengli. and it's basically a whiskey chocolate. Painter would probably like it, Whoa. and it was sort of my introduction to uh, whiskey. It's like a sort of a it's not it's like a darker chocolate with like a cocoa dusting on the outside, but it melts in your mouth and it's amazing, especially if you freeze them. <laughs>
1: Um, so mine happens to be my electronic drums cause I'm a nerd when it comes to percussion and played in bands for most of my youth. And well, when that was given to you, I like it. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, I geek. didn't know that about you. Dude, you really didn't know that? Um, yeah, I played, uh, through high school, through undergrad and a little bit after undergrad and still to this day intend on going on one more tour and recording one more record and they sit still in, in my spare bedroom, which you're welcome to Brian, when you're freezing in New York, because that's how <laughs> new it is. Um, so anyway, that was, that was my surprise unexpected. Awesome. So anyway, speaking of gifts, I mean, geez, we're, we're like all huddled around the Liverpool Christmas tree and, there's that big Dutch guy that's going to sit in the back of our, uh, you know, porous, per, previously porous back line, Virgil van Dijk. Guys, w- I mean, we've been talking about this since the summer, really been talking about this since the spring, if we're honest about it. And, you know, we had all the failures in the summer, <clears throat> the apology, the apology tour, um, so many opinions back and forth between FSG in or out, Klopp in or out, You know, is Klopp too stubborn, which was my comment at the time? Because none of it really made sense in the summer. But FSG, to their credit, job done. They delivered the target they needed most. Klopp's number one for the position of weakness for the club. So we have him. Where does he rank? So why don't we, for a little bit of context, why don't we start with where does the Van Dyke, you know, he broke all the transfer records just like, every transfer seems to break. We're just swimming in no, no man's land in, in terms of player value in the Premier League and around the world. Where does Virgil van Dijk rank historically with all of Liverpool transfers? Painter, why don't we go to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, tough to, it's tough to say where he ranks because he's kind of the, the flavor of the here and now, right? So for for the here and now, you have to say he's one of the most important signings that we've made. Uh, in recent memory. Uh, we didn't know how good Luis Suarez was going to be when we signed him from Ajax. Um, you know, we didn't have Fernando Torres kicked on and he wasn't the finish made article. Um, and But but if you look back over time, I mean, he's probably in in a time of need of where we need this type of player to solidify our back line. Um, he ranks right up there. But if you wanted to cast a a ranking of all of our transfers over the course of time. We're going to have to wait and see to see what kind of player he becomes um, and how many trophies he's delivered because he's going against the likes of John Barnes, Ian Rush, Kenny Daglish, Billy Liddell. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And a lot of our top players came in on transfers. So uh, his ranking won't be determined, in my opinion, until uh, – he delivers some trophies and some hardware, uh, and solidifies that back line and becomes the leader that we're hoping he can be, uh, because he's up against some pretty top talent that we've had down the years. So, but for the here and now, he's got to be right up there with anyone that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, in recent memory, just because it's such a big need for us, uh, from a defensive standpoint so we can kick on and really start challenging for trophies.
1: Yep. And he's the prototypical Klopp center half, right? I mean, he fits all of those characteristics in terms of how he plays, like purpose-built. If you had to dream up a central defender for Klopp system, you would come up with Van Dyke. James, do you have any perspective on this? Like, How does this rank for some of your historical transfers?
2: Um, I mean, I think in my opinion, um, until we win another, you know, however many 15, 20 trophies with one player as we did with uh, Kenny Del Kenny Dalgleish I think the king is always going to be number one transfer um, British record transfer fee not only did we win titles with him as a player but once he became player manager and then eventually manager we won just so many titles so it's going to be hard to beat him but in terms I, I agree with Brian in terms of sort of that final key piece I guess you could say um, a sort of important statement signing, it's right up there. Probably number – I'd say number one in the past, um, let's say, 10 years because we didn't know what Suarez was going to be really. So
1: Yeah, we I mean, still still got some sample left to go. Got it. But in terms of t- in anticipation coming well,
2: in. Uh, yeah, yeah, to that point,
1: it's really tough to argue. Yeah, tough, to that point, it's a statement signing, right? Because
0: uh, James brings up a great point. When the rest of Europe looks around and says, "Holy shit, Liverpool just signed the top, arguably the top center half in Europe." That's a, you know over the likes of City and Chelsea, uh, and they just signed Naby Keita um, over the likes of Barcelona, and they just pried Oxley Chamberlain from Arsenal, which is another big club. You, this is starting to become repetition for Klopp and in, in Liverpool at least over the last a couple transfer windows and you it's going to make other teams and other players take notice, right? Um We're going to come on to some other folks that are considering Liverpool as a, as a destination uh, like Leon Goretzka and, and whatnot. And, and those players are going to take notice of these other big players going to Liverpool to play for Klopp. And it's going to have an effect on future transfers. Um Plus it, it signifies that we're shopping in the big leagues again, right? Um for, for many years, we were sitting there talking about Ricky Lambert, for Christ's sake, and and uh, and Charlie Adam and, and 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 chuckleheads like that. Now we're talking about, you know, can walk into pretty much every team in Europe, players that are choosing Liverpool um, over other uh, other choices that they had. So I think it's a big statement signing to James's point, and really signifies that we mean business and we're here to play. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the most important uh, messages uh, for the supporters as well as for uh, the rest of Europe.
2: I think it's also uh, really important to point out that this is a sort of a unique transfer in some ways. Most of the time when you have a the phenomenal fuck up that happened in the summer and then also this long drawn out transfer process, uh, usually it doesn't happen. Usually the transfer falls away and it's completely screwed up and you never see the player. But we got the player.
1: Yeah, that is true. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into that more as we kinda think about the larger topic of FSG and ownership and so forth. We're kinda teasing it out here. But why don't we talk about the here and now? So he comes in, he he'll be betting in over the next two, three weeks. We got a busy January to come. We're involved in several several competitions still. You know, the Carabao Cup or whatever the hell it's called, no more, but everything else still in play. I mean, except for winning the league because City is you know, run off into the distance with that before Boxing Day. So as we play, you know, the rest of the season, we're sitting at fourth, four points off of Chelsea in, in the top four. Like, what does this mean for top four? What does this mean for our FA Cup run now that we've got more defense in the back? And what does this mean for Champions League as we look to do damage in the knockout round? Painter, I'll well, start with you. I mean, Van Dijk means something totally different to our set piece game, doesn't he? Right? Well, I mean, if I just if I just look at Van Dijk as a player, right, um, of
0: of our center backs uh, that we have, right, Lawver and Matip and Klavan, um, you know, he Van Dijk wins more aerial aerial battles. He has more headed clearances per game. He has a higher tackle success rate at seventy five percent um and he's had which is the most important uh stat zero errors leading to goals um and guess who is the top of our center backs right now with errors leading to goals Mr. Lavrin who at 6 he's had 6 errors leading to uh goals so i think just by and large he's an upgrade full stop on on anybody that we have on, at the club currently uh, which is no surprise, but I think from a, from a goal scoring threat point of view and from set pieces specifically, both attacking and defending, I think Van Dyke just offers something that we just doesn't, ha- we just haven't had. He attacks the ball in the air. If you look at any of his highlights, uh, and the goals that he's scored over his career, uh, from Celtic to Southampton, uh, most recently, he attacks the ball both defensively and offensively when it's in, when it's in the box thrust it in from uh different set piece uh like corners and, and and from uh from the field and I just think he's going to add a real aerial threat um not that Lovren and matip uh weren't aerial threats um they just weren't consistently threatening uh on a on every kick basis like they go missing you know i think matip's only goal for this season came from a set piece, but it came as he as he bundled it in, kicked it in from uh, on the ground, not from a headed <laughs> headed uh, you got play. It. So unmarked I, from the ground. Yeah, example. I think I think he's just going to add so much uh, attack options for us in in terms of aerial. Just uh, because he's so he's just big. He's six four, six four and a half. Um, he gets up and he attacks the ball. I think it's going to be. I think I you know I think he's going to get a couple goals for us here in the second half of the season from those set pieces.
1: And thinking about the game, Klopp's attack going forward, and how you need Klopp's center halves to be confident on the ball, to be confident in 1v1 situations, be able to dribble it up. I mean, obviously Van Dijk is a wholesale upgrade versus Lovren. I mean, Matip is pretty confident on the ball, but you couldn't say Klavan necessarily is. I mean, he's great with passing, but you know, if you want to get that ball forward quickly, James... How does Van Dyke fit into your starting 11? Like the effect he has on that forward attack. Does that
2: mean we can sustain forward attack? Oh, he's huge. It's, it's, he's absolutely huge. I mean, yes, every, every once in a while you'll see Matip, you know, make a little move forward or whatever, but Matip's not really that fast. Um, Van Dyke is very fast. That's one of the most important things about this signing, to me, to be honest, is getting uh, pace in our center back positions. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, the when he blocked Mane's cross last season, and he basically kept pace with Mane. Well, he does the same thing going forward too. Um, he, you know, Ma, when Matip brings it f- forward, he like, you know, he sort of brings it into like really open space where there's almost nobody there. Van Dijk will. Actually dribble past players, not like in a messy type of way, but in sort of an explosive, powerful type of way um, and as far as the um, the goals from set pieces goes, actually it, judging you know by some highlights, it seems like he actually likes to use his feet for scoring goals more than his head. And his head, his heading, which is great. uh, He uses more of a as a defensive skill to win the ball back. Well,
0: one of the things I was impressed with James is is his set piece taking. Um, He was he took most of this. He took a lot of set pieces at Celtic, uh, and he seems to have a a a nice whip and a nice uh, a nice shot on him uh, from set pieces. A la uh, if Coutinho ends up going, we might need a set piece specialist.
2: Well, don't forget about uh, Trent. Uh, uh he's pretty good at the I forgot free about poor Trent, little Trent. <laughs> um, yeah, um but also I'm I'm not just talking from the, you know, from the set pieces. He actually uh will come in, you know, through the midfield. He likes to attack a lot. Uh and he'll come in through the midfield and he'll arrive late for like almost a third man run. Sometimes um, during the play, which is interesting. It seems like a very Klopp thing, but it also seems like something that might get on fans' nerves. <laughs> so we'll see what happens with that.
1: Yeah, well, in, as we talked a lot about his place in Klopp's system,
2: I mean, his center back pair, it, is it obvious that it's Matip? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't. L- Loveran's not going anywhere. Um, and I, I think he's going to just keep doing what he's been doing and just rotate um, for all four of the center backs. Um, I know a lot of fans and a lot of you know ex-pros who are now pundits are you know keep harping on the idea of oh you need a steady partnership that always knows each other and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sort of wondering if the what Klopp is doing instead is saying okay, if I have a solid partnership, one of them gets injured and then a new guy comes in, all of a sudden, you know, they're not used to playing with each other. So maybe the maybe the tactic that he's coming up with instead is if I just constantly rotate these guys, they'll all get used to playing with all of them. So it doesn't matter which two I have out there; they're going to know how to play with each other instead of all of a sudden two guys that haven't played with each other for a half a year have to be a partnership. Yeah, this well, um, so definitely
1: I think, the year of rotation for well, Klopp.
0: So, you know, no, I was just going to jump in there. Um, I think that's out of, to James's point, out of design, but I also think it's out of necessity. Um, it's not like Klaven, uh and Matip and Laverne have had a consistent run of healthy, you know, of health. They've been injured a lot. So I don't know that he had the luxury of playing two center backs um, consistently week in, week out. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if van dyke can stay healthy he hasn't been you know he's coming back from a serious injury he hasn't been you know all that healthy uh throughout you know his his tenure in the premier league he's only had 67 premier league appearances so it it'll be interesting to see if we can get a good run of form uh slash health out of a couple of the center halves and see who actually stays in the lineup. Right. So I think I, I to James, I don't think Lovren's going anywhere because you just signed in a contract extension for a hundred grand a week. I think Klopp rates him. I, I'm not sure why, but I think Klopp rates him. Um, uh, I think Matip is too similar of a player, uh, to, you know, to, uh, to Virgil, in yeah, it. and I so I don't know if that would work, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Um, but I definitely think Klopp wants you know a consistent pair in that back line week in week out if he can get it.
2: Well, I, I and I've heard a lot of people say the idea of Matip and uh, Van Dyke being similar players. Uh, I'm on paper that sort of makes sense. They're both tall. Um, you know, guys, but they're really, the way they play is very different. Um, and Montip is nowhere near as aggressive or physical as Van Dyke. Van Dyke is incredibly powerful physically. Yep.
1: That's a solid point. Um, guys, it, the elephant in the room, at least the elephant in the room, if Jimmy were on this pod right now, he's going to listen to it and that elephant will be there. Um, so, Van Dyke obviously is a statement. Painter talked about it at the top of the pod that Klopp means business, that Mike Gordon and FSG mean business. Does this change the perception in any way coming out of the summer? Uh, Because I think, you know, Klopp certainly had the fans believing and driving towards the top four finish. It was, you know, job done on the year. Now we, we're sitting here, and we had the disappointment in the summer. It felt like we were regressing a little bit, and FSG in and out became a topic that got floating around. It's probably still floating around. <laughs> it's always going
2: to be floating around. I hate to tell you that.
1: You got it. You got it. Yeah. Yep. Painter.
2: Never going anywhere. Painter. The first title we win will be in spite of FSG. <laughs> you got it.
1: So Painter, first to yeah. you, uh, th- th- does this change anything for you? Are you... Still in, out, maybe on FSG. I'm a I'm a maybe still. I mean, listen, they're backing
0: Klopp. Let, uh, let's let's that well, you can remove that argument. They have given the manager what the manager has asked for. He wanted Virgil van Dyke, he played the long game, FSG backed him to the hill, he got it down for 75 million pounds. And that just is what it is. He backed him with Sala. he backed him with Ox. he backed him time and time again recently. I think what's different with FSG is I think FSG finally has a person and a manager that they trust to make this the the to invest the money wisely that they have available. And I think now they're beginning to a comfort level with one another where they trust Klopp's opinion on players and are willing to invest even if they feel the player isn't quote unquote worth that value because it's because they trust Klopp and they trust his opinion on these players, that it's going to produce, you know, results. I think the other thing it shows is FSG wants to win trophies. You don't drop down seventy-five million quid on a central defender if you're not fully committed to winning, right? You just wouldn't do that. You'd stick with Lavern and Matip and see if you could get over the line in a top-four finish and milk the milk the money tree of Champions League, you know, a little bit further, right? So, I think for me, the jury's still out. If they continue to backclop, um, you know, they've got Kata in the door this summer. There's rumors that there's other investments floating around here in January. I don't think we're done in January, by the way. Um, I think FSG is slowly turning the corner on the investments. Now, there's other issues with FSG, like the ticket price issue, uh, that keeps coming up and, and certain things that are non transfer related. But certainly on the transfer side of things, they've taken a major step forward and are continuing to improve uh, on that front. And, you know, you got to get handed to Mike Gordon and in the, in, in the leadership here. Nobody saw this coming. This wasn't leaked at all. I mean, there was rumors about Van Dyke coming in January, but that, that, that would have happened anyway. Nobody knew this was getting done behind closed doors, and it was done before January even started. Which, again, a credit to Liverpool and how they conducted the business and FSG on this one. Um, but, you know, my opinion of FSG, the verdict is still out. Until they win trophies, they're always going to get the negative stick from, from a number of supporters because Liverpool wins trophies, right? And they've got one trophy to show in seven years.
1: Capital One Cup, now called the Caribou. So, <laughs> solid points all. So, James, we've got. Transfer records broken, beginning with Monet at thirty four point nine million, I believe, Salah thirty six point nine, Ox at forty, KeTA at fifty fifty one, and here with Van Dyke at seventy five. Is FSG serious from your point of view?
2: Um, I think they absolutely are. Um, I know I've seen uh, one thing that a lot of people argue when it comes to FSG is, oh, they're just investors. They just want to make more money, all that kind of stuff. But to be honest, uh, if we see this in a lot of places, especially with sports teams, rich people, they already have a shit ton of money. What do they want? They want glory now. That's what they really want. I mean, of course, they want to make more money. They always do. That's why they're rich. But you know, to fulfill sort of that other hole in their life, they want the glory. Um, so they absolutely are serious about winning titles. I mean, um, I think this is a huge step in that direction. I think uh, there are other areas where they can improve. But I think, I think, for instance, that ticketing issue, I think that probably really caught them off mm-hmm. guard uh, because of odds, um, you know. I'm not a – I'm not a big American sports fan, but just from like watching other American sports fans, it's, it's not really an issue here as in they just get to make the ticket prices, whatever they want and people will just keep paying for them. And it doesn't seem to me like American sports, uh, fans really, um, sort of create or have a history of creating groups of fans to sort of, um, have their interests heard or organizing uh, against ownership uh, with things like ticket prices. So I think that probably caught them off guard and it's something that they're going to definitely need to learn from. But I mean, they took a club that was about to go into administration um, and they saved it and they've been accused of, you know, perhaps it's sometimes not investing much money. But if you read uh, the new uh, Rafa Honingstein book, on, uh, Jürgen Klopp, um, bringing the noise. The, one of the words that, or one of the phrases that's, uh, used frequently, uh, when it comes to his, uh, Liverpool time is learning. Uh, It's a learning process. And behind the scenes, they talk about it. They say, yeah, we're still learning. Uh, This is a totally different league than what we were used to in the Bundesliga. Uh, This is a club of a different stature than we were at before. Uh, The fans expect different things. Um, And they talk about, Mike Gordon talks in that book about learning as well. Um, He specifically speaks about how, you know, basically what I was saying, that the sport in the sport of football in England is totally different than anything that you see in the United that's States. True. Yeah. And that's the working class background, you know,
1: that the Liverpool largely produced from the working class. So you know, pricing out the fans is not the path to success still in that town. So I, I hope that that association stays strong and, you know, the club ownership learns from that. But I, I think it's obvious with these investments that, you know, to Painter's point, they want to produce a winner. They want to bring trophies to Liverpool. And, you know, what more could you ask for from a supporter's perspective? Um, Before we get out on the Van Dyke discussion, I know we've kind of batted around all the issues associated with that flying Dutchman. Finish with, does this change Coutinho's intent to leave in any way? Painter, do you think this does anything? I mean, it certainly makes, so long as we keep him, In January makes the rest of the year more entertaining. <laughs> uh, like can we can we flip 250k a week yeah, under I mean, under his door? Money changes everything, right?
0: Um, I don't, I, I don't know if it changes anything with Coutinho. Coutinho, a lot of Brazilian players uh, want to play for Real Madrid and Barcelona. Like that, just is what it is, right? I think Neymar leaving Barcelona uh, will help. I think that you know the club showing intent, like getting Van Dyke, getting Keita, If they can put a couple more pieces together and show, you know, Phil that they want to win and that they have the potential to win, I think that will go a long ways. I don't think VVD coming in is going to material materially change Phil Coutinho's mind on going to Barcelona if they come in with the right offer. I don't think it changes Liverpool's point of view on selling Coutinho if they come in with the right offer. What I think Phil needs to see is progression. Um, Like finishing fourth isn't going to cut it this year if you want to keep Phil. You got to be in that at least third, um, second type of discussion. You've got to put some hardware on the table, whether that's an FA Cup or whether that's, you know, God forbid, a Champions League medal he's, he wants to win things and like all great players. So I I don't know if it material changes. It certainly doesn't hurt it, but I don't think it, it changes his outlook on this. Um, but who knows? I mean, Barcelona could be a, you know, a, a completely different kettle of fish come, come the, come next year with, uh, you know, Suarez, you know, is getting older, Messi's getting older, like, it's going to be just him on the Barcelona Island you know within the next you know couple years right so again, I don't know if it, I don't think VVD materially changes the situation though for us I think we have to have a couple other things fall into place and and show that we're progressing and we're getting results and that we're capable of winning uh, titles at Liverpool for him to stay
1: yeah fair point. Um, James, I wanted to ask you, since so we've spent a lot of time on Van Dyke. There's a, you know, a window hasn't even officially opened. And we've got a whole month of January, and the club is showing intent this early in the window, which seems to get us thinking that there are other players in the hopper and there's other announcements to drop. And that's <laughs> sort of the mantra of the FS, you know, this FSG administration under Klopp is that you don't hear about transfers until they're done. Really, um, except for Van Dyke, have been speculating because of Liverpool's needs for six months. So, James, what do you think in terms of transfer targets? Who else is on the board? Who do you think we have left for January? Notoriously not the most productive period, but we tend to get, you know, on our good years, a player or two. Who do you think, who else is out there and who do you think we'll get?
2: Well, I mean, When you talk about windows, uh, I think a lot of the problem in January is, I mean, the obvious things of, A, teams don't want to let their best players go in the middle of the season, and B, uh, because of that, you get a huge price hike. But I think... um, Well, I don't think I know behind the scenes, people are always talking. So when when a club signs a player, it's not that they called that club up a week ago and said, hey, I want this guy. How much money do you want? Like agents are constantly talking to each other. That's literally their only job is to call people. So they're always on the phone. So we've definitely got, you know, these these won't be out of nowhere and uh two or one that's come up is uh at least in the uh, rumor mill is uh Leon Goretzka um german international plays for schalke north uh Nofier. um he has uh eight goals in the bundesliga this year um so not the greatest uh goal tally but considering he's in the midfield player um that's actually um pretty solid though not as much as some of um well, I guess they're not midfielders anymore, nope. but uh, we can edit that out. Um, so, um, yeah, um, I'd be interested to hear what Brian thinks about oh, Gretzka. Hey, Brian? At <laughs> <you, you
1: haven't>, least <laughs> haven't, haven't met a transfer you didn't no. like. Um, what do you think about Gretzka? And what do you think about some of these center-back, you know, secondary second, center-back targets for Liverpool that seem to have, you know, come right on the tail of Van Dijk, like, you know, Akanji <laughs> and Debris? Is it Debris? Right. Right. Uh, Debray. Well, listen,
0: Debray, Debray, whatever. Um, he's a good center back, and we should definitely be looking at him. Uh, because I'm not sold on the other three that we have other than Van Dyke. So, um, but if I look at Leon Gretzka specifically, he's tall, he's about six two and a half. Uh, he, he looks like a better version of uh, Matic from United. Uh, he's faster. He ha- has a bit more skill to him. Uh, he knows where the goal is. Like James mentioned, eight goals, eight goals, and a half a season in the Bundesliga from a midfield position, I think, is pretty good. Um, uh, he's got more goals than Nabi Keta in, in 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 the Bundesliga. I'm pretty sure on that. But uh, that said, he's he's big, right? And one of the things our midfield isn't is big. Uh, and I think he he brings a physicality uh, to. He would bring a physicality. Now, the interesting thing with Liverpool and and Gretzka is he's out of contract in the summer, a la Joel Matip from a few years ago. And I wouldn't be surprised. And the rumors are going around that we could get a pre deal done now in January for the summertime, which again would be a major coup because this guy, if he was under contract right now, would be costing forty forty five million easy. And to get him now under pre contract for the summer would be just a massive coup. Cause he's a talent and he's only 22. So, you know, he's going to get better. Um, it all might, it might also convince Emery Jean to sign a new contract with us because they're mates on the German under, uh, or the German national team. Uh, they're good, fr- uh, they're good mates. Uh, they play together, uh, in, the, in the German national team. So, having the all german midfield wouldn't wouldn't be a bad option and might sell him on staying at liverpool. Uh the other thing that this the the rumors are that Arsenal and Spurs are both in for him and if another player yet another top highly rated youngster gets <coughs> select or selects us over Arsenal and Spurs it just is another marker that says you know, what's going on at Liverpool? Cause I, I think that's pretty interesting and I want to go join, you know, Jurgen Klopp's, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp's side. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'd be made up if we got Leon Goretzka and Keita coming in next year into that midfield. Uh, you know, arguably we're going to lose, uh, potentially Phil, uh, and, and John. So Keita and Gretzka would be two perfect replacements. Um, obviously nobody's going to replace Phil, but uh, but they would definitely be good replacements, and, and arguably uh, much more physical and, and a lot more industry around that midfield in terms of work rate uh, and stamina. So, uh,
2: I mean, I think they're both upgrades on Sean. At least I think they're probably both better players than Emre. Yeah, so no, I I, I, I agree a with thing. that. Hot
0: take. Hot take there by James for sure. I I I think. You can make an argument for Goretzka being better than John. I think he's more mobile than John. Uh, I don't know uh, Nabi Kate. I don't even think is a question. He's better than John. Full stop. But
2: yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and then as far as the de- the defense, listen, we're going to need another top end center half. I just I just don't see how we can rely on an injury prone Matip, Lavern, and Clavin and who's going to be what thirty four next year. Um, you know, if we're if we're gonna seriously tout ourselves as title contenders, uh, the other thing that we're we're gonna need to sort out is goalkeeping. I because I, I can't no, kidding. I can't deal with um, I can't deal with Migs um, anymore. Carius doesn't look like he has enough in his locker to be that number one. Um, so there's definitely there could be some movement on the goalkeeping front. There's a lot of top end goalkeepers that could become available. Uh, You know, Quatois is talking about moving to Madrid, which is going to shake up a lot of goalkeepers um, and start the goalkeeper carousel if some of the big boys start moving to some other clubs. Mm. So I think, you know, we're we're definitely going
1: to have that's more of a summer topic. It it?
0: is. It is. But like, you know, Kevin Trapp out of uh, PSG, who's not getting game time right now. He's he's a German international. uh, He he's a fantastic goalie. Uh, he could, he's looking for a move, uh, because he wants to increase his resume for the German national team, uh, for the world cup next summer. So PSG might be, might let him go on a loan, which would, you know, certainly suit us down to the ground with an option to buy maybe in the summertime. So you never know what can happen. You know, I, I I think we need to upgrade a goalie. Uh, and I, and I wouldn't be surprised if he takes a look at, depending on how serious More- uh, Albi Moreno's injury is, you know, maybe cover in the left back um, area. Because I, I just I, – I can't see yeah, Robertson. I don't think Robert- I, I can't, Robertson is in that hole for you. I mean, well, I mean, Robertson by himself isn't going to – I mean, he's a fine player, and he looks, he, he looks like he has a lot of potential. But you can't go – I guess Milner can fill in there. But, I mean, that's a – I don't know. I'm I that's not winning you the Champions League if that's the, if that's the aim now that we're in the knockout phases. Milner yeah. Milner and Robertson at left back isn't winning you the Champions League. So, I could see maybe us taking a few looks at, you know, what left backs are out there and available. So,
1: that's my that's my transfer update. Yeah, good. Thanks, Bates. I know we're running a little bit long. Um, We promised to keep this relatively short and digestible for our talk on listeners over the holiday. Um, But we cannot leave this discussion without a quick summary and score prediction on Leicester and Burnley. It's the beauty of the holidays. We get to watch so much football, especially our team. Um, Why don't we start with you, James? Uh, What scares you about Leicester at home? We get them at home last... Last tie at uh, King Power, we got out with a three-two win after getting bounced out of the Caribou Cup. Love saying that. Uh, what? What
0: are what you concerned with be? going? You
1: said pressure. it like six times already. I know. It's like, we we're not know even in the, the damn competition caribou. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Northern Exposure. Uh, so it's great
2: because it's actually Cher-Bow. Cher-Bow. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, James, uh, talk to us about Lester.
2: You know, um, Leicester is a, is kind of a hard one because, like you said, they, they took us out of the, the League Cup, uh, even when they were, I think that was when they were still under, uh, shaky. Um, but now they have, um, Claude Puel, um, who I think is actually a pretty good manager. Um, I think that was it Watford that he was at or Southampton, uh, Southampton getting rid of him, I think was, Obviously the wrong move. Um, he knows how to get a a solid defense set up, but now that he has higher quality attacking players at, um, Leicester, we've seen them, um, sort of a mini revolution under him. So that could, it's a little bit intimidating, but at the same time, I'm, I'm sort of quietly confident. Because I think that they will try to actually score on us, and that could possibly leave openings um, for our insane attacking options to uh, capitalize on. Um, I'm far more concerned with Burnley
1: for um, we'll, we'll having to
2: that. sort of yeah. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's what I think about Leicester. I think I think Vardy is going to score a goal and at least one, and I'll go for a. Um, four
1: one win love every moment of that Uh, tell me about do you think mares is going to make the starting 11 for
2: this uh i think so um unless is he has he had injury problems that i don't know well no i mean the rumor is that
0: arsenal are going to come in for him and you know similar to van dyke sitting out the last two southampton games if arsenal are in for mares then you know does Lester play him or does he Do they sit him (laughs)
2: <laughs> Why would he go to Arsenal? Unless it's, unless it's like I'm being no, completely no, it, serious. It, like unless it's session. for like a huge payday. Yeah. Um, because Arsenal are on the way down. I know when when Jeff was talking about those players coming to us instead of Arsenal and other clubs, I all, all I was thinking in my head is it's like it's like they're falling on the ground and we're just kicking them in the head. It's like for for Arsenal in particular with what they're going through right Dude, now. For the record, I um, if Jack saying that, but go ahead. No, or, or it's Brian. Yeah. Brian was. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, I gotcha. um, So, anyways, um, I think, I think, I think they'll play him unless the transfer is already done. I think they'll play him because I think when VVD was sat out, I think the transfer was actually done already, and they just wanted to wait to announce it. Fair point. So,
1: okay, Painter. This is the tie that I've been circling for a few months, just given how Burnley has performed this year. I think they're still good for seventh in, t- in the table. Yeah, uh, it's concerned me quite a bit. What do you What do you think we can expect? And this is away. This is not not at home. Yeah, I mean, Turf Moor is always a tough
0: uh, is always a tough place to play. And and, and Burnley's form this year has been fantastic uh, by and large. I mean, they're they're on thirty three points. They're sitting seventh in the table. They're four points. Uh, they're five points off of us in in fourth place. Uh, this is a big game for them. If they can somehow get a win, uh, you know, and pull within two points of uh, of us, and get into position for a European uh, run, whether that's Europa or even, God forbid, Champions League, um, they're they're playing well enough right now where that's not out of the realm of possibility. However, their form over the last three games has dipped quite a bit uh, from where they've been. Uh, you know, they've drawn, lost, and drawn in their last uh, three games. They've drawn it, you know, the last game, obviously, they drew at uh, at Man United. Uh, that was a good game. They were up 2 nothing, and, and arguably should have came away with a win there. They played really well uh, from start to finish. The game before that, they lost to Spurs 3 nothing at home, uh, and then they tied Brighton uh, the, the game before that. So, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how we set up. Burnley are going to sit deep. They're going to be defensive and they're really probably going to put, you know, the usual 10 men behind the ball type of thing and, and make us break them down. Although being at home, they're probably going to come out a little bit more. Uh, if, you know, usually home sides are going for a little, a little more offensive firepower. So, it'll be interesting to see which Burnley we get Uh the one that, you know, got smoked by Spurs or the one that should have beat man United uh, in right. these last two games. So, you know, I think, I think we're going to do them. Uh I think it's going to be a tight, hard fought battle, but I think we get over the line at a two, one. Um And one then, one. yeah, two, one, I, I just, you know, it's on the road. It's, they play they play well at home, and I just I just don't see us getting you know a, a five nothing type of result like we did against Swansea. I think it's more of a a, a tight, hard fought two one.
2: Yep. yep. It's the new cold rainy Titans. <laughs> that, that one was you,
1: Ali Geek. <laughs> so it's all cold in England, doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, gents, um, I think we've thoroughly talk through van dyke what's left on the board given all of our uh talk on listeners something to ponder for the rest of the holidays i think that's good and then giving them a little map of what's to come tomorrow as well as on the first of the year so i'll quickly wish all of our listeners happy rest of the holidays hope you're enjoying it whatever you're celebrating could be celebrating festivals it doesn't matter Honza. what you're celebrating you you enjoy it yeah <laughs> and gents thanks for getting on until next time talk on talk on Thank you.